Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you. Someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Everybody, this is Charlene Gorzella, your host for Grief Recovery Now. And as you know, Grief Recovery Now is about the recovery portion of grief. We are, we know that grief is a sudden change or loss that we experience in life that can be the most devastating loss of a loved one, trauma, PTSD, some of the worst devastation that we can have. Grief is deep, it's an emotional and not intellectual. And there's also grief when it could be a sudden change. It could be a good thing. And it could be, and it's conflicting emotions about, I could say for myself, I sold my company a couple years ago. It was such a great thing, but also a year into it, I started grieving my continuity that I was used to, my certainty about knowing my business for 30 years, being a CEO for 26 years. I had an identity of a CEO. And then I didn't realize what was going to happen. I was like, what is happening? But I was missing that part of me. I was grieving it. But what was great, and I identified with my identity for many, many years. And what happened, I started doing grief recovery work from the grief recovery method. As you all know, I'm a grief recovery specialist. And what I learned in the changes that I went through and the grieving of this great opportunity and happy change in my life, there was a grief going on, those conflicting emotions. And what happened was I did my grief recovery work. I acknowledged it. I got into my heart and not to my head. And to make a long story short, I don't even identify with that person anymore. It's part of my history and part of my story that I'm proud of, but I'm walking in this new chapter fully and completely and with a sense of resolved from unresolved to resolve, from incomplete to completion of that part of my life fully. So this is what this podcast is all about. And I'm so happy you're with us today. And most importantly, I have an awesome guest today that I've gotten to know through the last few months. We are involved in a Fire and Soul Mastermind group. We were in a live video mastery course. Him and I have been around a little bit. So all this internet and live video mastery was so used to us. So we got to do this journey together to learn about podcasting and live video mastery and some other things we're working on. So we're on our journey together, and he was so beautiful to say yes, and I'm totally honored that you're on the podcast today. You have quite a unique story 
all your own Billy Gallo. And so usually we're very conversational, but what I see today for this podcast is I want to hear about your story, what it was like, what happened and what it's like today. And so I'm going to give you a few more minutes, be more of a story type thing in our podcast today. But before we do this, what I'd like to do is introduce Billy and then welcome him on the show. Okay, so we're going to start. So ready, set now. So Billy Gallo is an actor, writer, director and producer. He is also the owner of the Manhattan Actor Studio in California and the host of the Hollywood Dreammaker podcast. He is dedicated to the craft of acting and is dedicated to sharing his knowledge and experience with aspiring actors, writers, directors, and producers from around the world through his classes and podcasts. Over his 35-year career in show business, Billy has had the opportunity to work alongside Academy Award-winning actors, writers, directors, and producers, as well as some of the biggest talents in the industry. Billy can be seen in Oscar-winning films, blockbuster films, cult classics, television shows, and commercials. Billy has worked alongside some of the biggest A-list actors in Hollywood, such as Julia Roberts and Richard Gere in The Pretty Woman, and Terrence Howard and Ryan Phillip in Crash. Billy helped launch the brand-new Fox Network when he starred on the show Boys Will Be Boys, alongside Matthew Perry. He also landed recurring characters on hit television shows such as Who's the Boss and Married with Children and Jerry Bruckheimer's first foray in television, Soldier of Fortune. Billy is passionate about helping his students sharpen their craft and grow their actor's toolbox to move forward in show business with fierce determination and confidence. Billy brings valuable knowledge to his listeners by interviewing experts on show business, such as Academy Award-winning writer and director Bobby Morasco, actors such as Emilio Rivera, renowned stuntman and actor Andy Dillon, motivational speaker Joseph McLennan III, and more on his podcast. Billy is now dedicated to helping people around the world achieve their dreams through their live and online courses and his podcast. Billy truly believes that it is never too late to follow your dreams. He is living proof that anything can happen when you set your mind to it. Welcome, Billy. So happy you're here today. <laughs> Thank you, Charlene. Wow, that's a long bio. I'm going to have to tell my wife to trim that down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I didn't want to miss a thing with you. I really want people to feel the fullness of what you've accomplished in the world. And you know what? It's my podcast. And I thought, you know what? I want to... Really try, this isn't the whole of you, but this is something you've succeeded. And as people will see as we go on, is that you didn't come from, you know, a silver spoon background or, you know, it was an easy road for you. And we're talking about grief. So I, I like to get what's on the other side of that grief. And so that's why I wanted to go through this bio of yours. Even well, though it's the professional part of you, I wanted our listeners to really get to know you a little bit more on this end of it. Awesome. Well, I'm honored to be on the show. And, you know, grief, well, I was I was pretty much born into grief. You know, you know, my mother used to tell me she could hear me cry in her womb when I was a child. You know, uh, I was born 1966 in Brooklyn, New York, to uh, a 21-year-old girl who was in, uh, you know, there was a war going on, but I'm not talking about Vietnam. She was in a war of her own with my father, who was a... Uh, an alcoholic, an abuser, you know, I used to beat the crap out of her when I was a kid. 
you know, she was going through a rough time. You know, he's also the guy who abandoned me and my two sisters. My mother was forced to raise the three of us in Brooklyn, New York. You know, she was going through her own emotional stuff. You know, we grew up in a tenement building in Brooklyn. You know, it was a dangerous place to grow up, you know, especially in the 70s in Brooklyn. Uh, you know, if uh, she was an amazing mom, you know, if there was, you know, one egg, we'd split it. If we didn't have hot water, you know, you know, to take a bath, she'd boil water and, you know, make me a bath. You know, when we didn't have heat, she would open up an oven door to keep us warm. But it was it was tough. It was a struggle. You know, she used to tell me, you know, we're survivors. You know, I, mean, I grew up in a very dangerous, fearful place. You know, as a child, I used to literally have to climb over the heroin addicts nodding out to go to school, to go play, witnessed a lot of stuff that no child should have to witness. You know, people getting shot, stabbed, talking about graffiti covered. This is Brooklyn in the 70s. You know, this was Dodge City. I mean, this, the city was going bankrupt. There was a lot of street gangs, graffiti covered walls. It was a dangerous place. Growing up as a child, it was tough. You know, there was a lot of abuse. There was a checklist of everything that go bad to a child. I check all the boxes. And growing up like that, I was kind of... Uh, an angry young boy, you know, running around the streets of Brooklyn. You know, I ran away from home when I was 16, I was kind of running in the wrong circles. You know, I, I was kind of looking for a father figure and I found one on the streets, uh, a guy who I looked up to was like my idol, you know, uh, kind of wise guy, you know, double breasted suits, diamond pinky rings, get me into clubs, you know, money, you know, and he just taught me how to go down the wrong path. When I was 18, I uh, was walking home from school one day and, you know, I saw him on the streets and I walked with him and he walked into a men's clothing store and, uh, you know, I was watching him and the guy's son came out from behind the counter and put five bullets into him in front of me, shot him in the head. And literally he collapsed in front of me, you know, bleeding out. And it was that point in my life that everything changed for me. I knew I did not want to go down that path. That wasn't the life I wanted. This guy that, you know, was laying on the ground bleeding out was the guy I wanted to be. And I said, I don't want to live that life anymore. When I was 18, I was at a racetrack, won a couple hundred bucks at the racetrack. My friend said, what are you going to do with the money? I said, I'm going to Hollywood. I'm going to be an actor. You know, everybody laughed at me, you know, told me it couldn't be done. You know, I, I got bit by the bug when I was 11. They were filming a movie in my neighborhood and I got a little extra part. And then a year later, when I was 12, John Travolta was filming Saturday Night Fever in my neighborhood and I got to watch him film. So, you know, I had this bug in me. I knew I wanted to act. But, you know, I just kind of, nobody believed in me. Everybody, you know, even my high school acting teacher, you know, I said, I want to be an actor. And, you know, he kind of, his advice was forget it, kid, <laughs> you know. But, you know, at 18, I bought a one-way ticket to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket, didn't know a soul. And I uh, came out to Hollywood and, you know, I've been living my dream ever since. You know, I've, like you said, I mean, I've been in Academy Award winning films, blockbuster films. You know, I had my own TV series, you know. So, you know, within over a year and a half, I had my own TV show. And, you know, all those people that kind of laughed at me and told me it couldn't be done. Well, you know, now they can go watch me in a movie or watch me on a TV show on Saturday nights at eight o'clock, you know. But there was, uh, you know, I achieved it. I mean, I achieved the dream. I got it. You know, I've been blessed. But then when I got all that stuff, it was like, is this it? You know, the fame, the money, the stuff. There was something missing. You know, there was... Uh, for me, you know, I, I battled depression my whole life because, you know, of all that stuff that happened to me, my story, I dragged my story around, you know, my past into my future and my present. And those bags were pretty heavy. 
I was the victim. I was, there was a, the poor me, you know, I was a very angry young man and I took that anger and I, you know, luckily I had acting because I could take all that energy and give it to a character that I was playing and, you know, I can release it. So, you know, it was, acting was very therapeutic for me as a young actor. You know, I played a lot of, you know, tough guys, bad guys, you know, troublemakers, you know, very early on in my career. And I was, you know, I was playing those kind of roles and, and there was a, a release for me, you know, and it just my life was, I had all the stuff, but I wasn't happy. You know, I didn't have love in my life, which was a big deal. You know, I would sabotage love because, you know, when your father abandons you and your mother kind of abandons you, uh, you know, you grow up with abandonment issues. You grow up feeling like I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. You know, you grow up with fear of, you know, abandonment. You know, I mean, listen, my mother used to drag me to the mailbox and go, look, your father doesn't send child support. So as a, what's an 11-year-old boy do? You know, he creates a story like I'm not good enough. I'm, I don't deserve money. I don't deserve love. You know, this whole story. But it's just a bullshit story. I mean, if, if I was, you know, you were flying a wall and you watch what happened is a woman and a child, they walk to a mailbox, they opened it, they closed it, and they went inside. That's what happened. But me, the child... The damaged child created a story and I carried that story around with me my whole life, you know? So when I had the fame and I had the money, well, I was, I was pissing away those checks. I was going to Caesar's palace and having the Caesar suite with the band, gravy, baby grand piano, because I felt like I didn't deserve the money. I was sabotaging, you know, when I had uh, women that loved me in my life, I sabotaged it because I felt like I didn't deserve it, you know? So there was always something truly missing for me, you know, even I went to New York in 2000 to produce a movie and, you know, I was the producer. I, I, had, I had all this stuff that I dreamed that was going to make me happy. I was going to be the producer. Uh, you know, I had a loft in Soho. I had all this material stuff and I had a girl that I uh, was dating and I broke up with her because I thought, you know, the grass was going to be green on the other side. You know, I, you know, I had blinders on about making this movie and I, you know, I had all that stuff, but I was miserable. I was in this big ass loft and I was just, I literally was looking out my window, like thinking, you know, <laughs> I wanted to jump out of it because I was just not happy. And, you know, that woman, luckily for me, when I came back two years later from making that film, she still loved me and she still wanted to be with me. And that's my beautiful wife. I realized that that story that I was telling myself that I wasn't worthy and I didn't deserve love was bullshit. And I accepted the love and I got my life. I really, truly got my life. I got my beautiful wife and, and I have a beautiful 13-year-old son and, you know, all of that stuff that I thought, I don't have the shoebox full of cash and the loft and all that stuff, but I have love in my life. And that truly was a game changer for me, you know, to find happiness. But then, you know, I had some stuff go on, you know, let's say. Uh, oh, can I ask you a question yeah, about sure. your wife, Diana, who I've Absolutely. met? Absolutely. What do you think from then when you couldn't, you didn't have the capacity to receive her love and partnership or couplehood. What do you think happened by the time you came back and then you were ready to receive it and had the capacity to receive it? Did you half have the capacity and then she helped you to receive that love? What was that part that shifted you? So first off, I real, you know, like I said, I realized that all of the other stuff doesn't make you happy, you know? That's just material crap and it doesn't fill you up. You know, what I really truly needed was love in my life and, you know, I didn't have it. And, and when we had a conversation about getting back together, I told, I was very honest with her. I said, I don't 
feel I'm afraid of love. You know, I'm afraid to get hurt again. And, you know, she just told me that there was nothing that, you know, she loved me there, that, that uh, I had nothing to worry about, <laughs> that it, I do deserve love and I was worthy of love. And that, that bullshit story that I've been telling myself was just that, a bullshit story. She let me be me, you know? I mean, I, I come with a lot of stuff, you know? I come with a lot of, literally, it was dragging a lot of baggage around with me, you know? A lot of stories. From and you hit childhood. that bottom too, that dark night of the soul, ready to jump out the window. And through that pain and through that grief, you came to the other side of it. I mean, what do they say about pain? You know, if the pain is so bad that there's nothing you can do, you have to, you do something to get, rise above it. And it sounded like you had an angel in Diana. Absolutely. She's and, definitely my angel, you know, and, and, and you know, I, I'd like to share a little story with you about that. You know, you know, I got my life. I got my wife, my beautiful son. You know, we moved 10 years ago. We moved from Hollywood because I was in that Hollywood kind of craziness. And, you know, we moved to the beach, you know, and it was awesome. You know, I had my three-year-old son and we walked down to the beach and that was our sandbox. And, you know, I, I got to be you know, because of my job, you know, I, I got to raise my son and be there for him, you know, or well, my wife, you know, she, you know, had her nine to five and, you know, I got to do all those amazing things. I had an amazing bonding with my son and, you know, we'd spend the days at the beach. And one day we were walking down the beach and they, uh, we were collecting shells because I wanted to make a frame for my mother. And he found a beautiful sand dollar, a beautiful, perfect sand dollar. And I took a picture of him holding the sand dollar. And as we were walking up from the strand, there was a surfer dude on, on the beach. And he told my son, he said, hey, kid, you know, if you break that, there's angels in it. So my son literally pulverized it into a powdery mess. I wanted to choke this guy. And, you know, I was like, what an etch asshole, <laughs> you know, and we literally... For years, you know, years, years, I tried to find another sand dollar, um, you know, but found a broken one, a piece of one, never found another sand dollar. So I'm going to tell you a little story that happened to me. You know, back seven years ago, I was going through the shit. You know, a lot of stuff happened. You know, I had a, a few men in my life. My stepfather, the only man that was kind of there for me, when, you know, we, had, we banged heads a lot. He got prostate cancer and he was going through dealing with that. And there was a lot of anger I had, and there was a lot of stuff that I was carrying on, carrying with me. And then shortly after that, my 11-year-old niece was diagnosed with brain cancer. And, you know, she battled for five years and we lost her when she was 11. And um, I was, I wasn't really dealing with those two losses. You know, I was kind of, actually, I was kind of numbing them away, you know, with alcohol, just, just not dealing with my grief. I was kind of, you know, just kind of bottled it up. And then um, my wife and I were pregnant and we had a miscarriage. So on top of everything else, you know, there was that loss. And then that same year I injured myself and I tore my rotator cuff and my labrum and I was in a sling for seven months and I couldn't work. So I was unemployed. I couldn't work out. I wasn't being able to exercise, you know, all the, my outlets to kind of deal with stuff were gone, you know, and, you know, my dog got hit by a car and died. And then shortly after that, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I literally was being pummeled. Like, you know, I felt like Jake LaMotta and Raging Bull. Like I was just getting pummeled by cancer and death and loss. And, you know, 
the beautiful life that I created, my beautiful wife, my beautiful son, you know, I just lost my dad and my niece. And now here's fucking cancer, excuse my friends, pulling at the carpet out of my life, you know, the life that I created, you know, and it was really devastating for me. You know, I would sit in doctor's appointments after doctor's appointments and really truly be melting down in the office. The doctors were more concerned about me than my wife because I hadn't grieved and I had bottled up all of my emotions and my pain and it was just overflowing. My well of tears was just overflowing and I would start crying like looking at a commercial about St. Jude's Children's Hospital or whatever. You know, I was just... I couldn't control my emotions. I was melting down. I was having anxiety. I was having depression. I was a, a friggin' mess, you know? And I was angry. I was angry. I was angry at God. I was angry at the universe. I was angry, like, what the f is going on here, you know? And I remember I came home from a doctor's appointment with my wife. And I told my wife, listen, I got to go take a walk. I need to go take a walk on the beach. And I started, I walked down to the beach and I was crying. And, you know, I was having a conversation with God. I was praying, you know, I did not want to lose my wife. You know, I, cancer scared the crap out of me. I just lost, you know, two people to it. And now here we go again. And it was just, I was frigging angry and I was crying and I was praying and I was walking along the beach and, you know, I had my shorts on and I, I was walking from Manhattan Beach all the way down to El Segundo and, and my, my feet were just getting wet, but I couldn't control my emotions. So I said to myself, you know, I need to focus on something else. So I said to myself, you know what, I'm just going to focus and see if I can find a sand dollar. You know, as, as I walked along that mile and a half, I, you know, crying, praying, and I looked for a sand dollar, you know, but I couldn't find one. I found a broken one, a little piece of one, whatever. And then when I got all the way down to El Segundo, I was standing at the jetty and I was crying and I, uh, you know, I don't know what people's beliefs are. You know, listen, I grew up, you know, my mother forced me to go to Catholic school in in junior high school. It was a nightmare for me. I was bullied. Uh, I had a, you know, bullied by these kids. I had a, the nun, Sister Mary Francis, looked like John Wayne with a habit. You know, she had a big ass paddle she used to beat my hands with, you know. So I had a bad taste in my mouth for Catholic school and just that, you know, I, that I was, I was just angry. So I was angry at God. I was having a conversation. I was literally fucking calling him out. You know, I stood in front of the water with my feet, you know, getting wet. And I said, you know, show me a sign, show me a fucking sign that you hear my prayers, show me a sign, you know? And I started walking along back and I was singing, singing a little song that I heard in, you know, in church, take my heart, oh Lord, make it ever new. Take my heart, oh Lord, may I be like you. And, and all of a sudden I got hit by a wave. And I go, oh, like a rope, my feet were getting wet, but I got hit by a wave and my shorts got soaked. And, you know, I had my phone in my pocket. So I was, I, you know, was taking my phone out and I was shaking my phone to dry it off. And I looked down and I was literally surrounded by 13 perfect sand dollars in a circle around me. Like my hair is standing up right now every time I tell this story. You know, mine too. So wow. here I am. So here I am. And I just literally said, Show me a sign. And now I'm surrounded by 13 perfect sandals. So I scoop up these perfect sandals. And I'm talking perfect, not a crack, not nothing, just beautiful, perfect. And I'm not talking about one over there, one over there. I was literally surrounded by a circle of sandals. So I scooped them up. And I, and I ran home and I ran like full speed, like a mile home. And, you know, I, I, somebody left like a Slurpee cup at the beach and I put them in there. I felt like, you know, when you go to Las Vegas and you hit the slots, you know, I had the cup with the, you know, perfect 
sand dollars and I burst through my door and I'm going to, I tell my wife, you know, tears and you're not going to believe what just happened to me. You're not going to believe what just happened to me. And, uh, she, you know, I started telling the story and my, my little son is, you know, on the couch, you know, and he goes, daddy, what's a sand dollar? I don't know. Uh, so I Google sand dollar and this is what comes up and I'm going to read this quick little story. Okay. Great. The legend of the sand dollar. There's a pretty little legend that I would like to tell of the birth and death of Jesus found in this lowly shell. If you examine it closely, you'll see that you'll find here four nail holes and a fifth one made by a Roman spear. On one side is the Easter lily. Its center is the star that appeared unto the wise men and led them from afar. The Christmas poinsettia etched on the other side reminds us of his birthday, our happy Christmas tide. Now break open the center and here you will release the five white doves awaiting to spread goodwill and peace. This simple little symbol Christ left for you and me to help us spread his gospel through all eternity, anonymous. What is the chances of there being a biblical story about some sand dollars that I, in my mind, was thinking... I want to find a sand dollar. And then I said, show me a sign. And then I'm surrounded by 13 sand dollars. Wow. So. And then you get that interpretation because there's a lot of different interpretations of the sand dollars and the meaning, but you got this one. And then based on your history with Catholicism that you shunned or whatever. And then now this is full circle from the brokenness that you kept finding in the Mm -hmm. sand out and then finding full ones that, Mm -hmm. wow, what a turning point. So, you know, that, that surfer dude was right. If you break a sand dollar, there are five little white angels. Google it. It's amazing. Little, little, like little white doves, you know, that come out of this. So that's what that surfer dude that was talking about. But, you know, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But, you know, the, the moral to the story is, is, you know, I let go, you know, I let go of the fear and I let God, the universe, and, and I just put it, I let go of it. I let go of you know, anger. I let go of resentment. I let go of all this stuff that I was holding on to, which is my story about everything. And I freed myself up and I literally truly let go, let God, you know, I let go and it freed me up. I've never been depressed. My wife is healthy. You know, I saw a miracle, you know, I see miracles all the time. You know, my path, my journey that I'm on now came out of that. You know, I was, I was, you know, it brought me to my knees and I, you know, I would say I was leaving, I'd go meditate at church, you know, going through this whole time and I was melting down. My wife introduced me to meditation. You know, she was going through her, her cancer journey and she always wanted to teach meditation and yoga. So she was doing her certification and she taught me about it. She said, you know, you should try this. And I was like, you know, yeah, okay, well, whatever. But I did, I went and it was transformational for me. It was life-changing for me. You know, I started teaching it, you know, I, I took my teacher training, I started teaching it and, you know, just learning how to breathe. Like I didn't know how to really truly breathe. And I, and I learned how to breathe and get out of my head and get into my heart and trust. And it was truly a game changer for me that when I let go of the pain, you know, I freed myself of the pain from my childhood, my story. You know, I was literally walking around with a, a bullshit story, you know, change your story, change your life. You know, I used to think all that stuff happened, you know, to me, but, you know, I realize now that it all happened for me. I had to go through everything that I went through to become the man that I am today, the father that I am today, the teacher I am today. You know, I, I, I got my life when, when I let go of the pain because I was dragging all that pain, that luggage into my future and, and it could never lead me to happiness, you know, because I was just 
full of anger and resentment. And when I let go and I let go and I, I, I forgave, you know, everybody in my life that, that hurt me. And I, I truly freed myself up and I got my life. You know, I was, I was leaving quick, another story. I was leaving church one day and I found this little card on the steps of the church and it said time, talent, treasure. And it talks about how do you share your time, your talent and your treasure and I realized that I wasn't sharing my time, my talent, and my treasure. You know, I was, it was really kind of about me, 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 my ego, my career, acting, you know. And then I got a voice, uh, like a, <laughs> a voice, you should open up an acting school. And I was like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? First off, I was in that sling for seven months. I was unemployed. I didn't have the money. I didn't have, you know, all this stuff, but... I got this call and like, you need to open up the school. And I just kind of followed that path. And in the shit of cancer, I planted the seeds of my school, the Manhattan Active Studio. And it's an amazing, beautiful thing came out of it. I mean, for the past seven years, I've had this amazing place where I get to touch people's lives on a daily basis. I get to help them. I get to guide them. Everything that I had to go through in my Hollywood career, in my life, you know, I, yeah, their insecurities, their fears, their stuff. I've dealt with all of that. So I get to be the guide and I get to help people follow their dreams and let, maybe let go of some of their crap and teach them how to breathe and get out of their head and get into their heart. And it's been truly... Uh, Amazing because I found the secret to living is truly giving and being of service. And it's not about me. It's how many people's lives can I touch on a daily basis, you know? And that's why I created my podcast, you know, because I want to go global. I want to be able to touch people's lives. You know, I, I'm creating my online courses. So, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're in Ohio, you want to study with me, now you can. It's been truly a game changer because my old map that I was living my life, you know, uh, about acting and stuff like that, I realized I was putting my ladder on the wrong wall. Mm -hmm. I that ladder would never get me happy. I went there. I, I climbed the ladder. I had the stuff, but it was, I was not happy. And now I've put my ladder on the other wall, which is a being of service and contribution. And that has been the most rewarding thing for me in my life because it's not, you know, I've been there, done that. I got the t-shirt. I check, I achieved the dream. Now I want my destiny, which is, you know, being a guide and being able to help as many people achieve their dream, you know, as possible. So, you know, I got my life when I was able to let go, like free myself, you know, forgive people, you know, even the don't ask, don't have any expectations of them to go, Oh, I'm sorry. It's just you, when you forgive them, you free yourself, mm -hmm. you know, you truly free yourself. And I freed myself and I've never been depressed ever since I let go of all that crap. I'm blessed. I'm that I'm president of the lucky club. I have a beautiful wife, a beautiful son. I have a beautiful, I'm doing what I love. My true passion now was really teaching the craft and being the guide. So it's been uh, a life changing for me. You know, the gift of breathing, meditation, finding my faith, you know, trusting, letting go, knowing that there's a higher power, the universe is looking out for me, that, you know, everything that happens is a gift. I mean, I truly look at COVID as the same thing right now. This whole COVID thing is the same as for me for cancer. It's the shit. It's the fertilizer. So this is where we plant our seeds and we take care of those seeds and we pull the weeds and we give them water and we give them sun and beautiful things will come out of it. Like this podcast, your podcast, my podcast, you know, it came out of COVID. We created this during COVID. You know, we weren't sitting around feeling sorry for ourselves. We were actually building it. And guess what? People are coming now, you know, so... 
I feel blessed. I mean, I feel truly blessed. I'm blessed. I'm grateful to be on this show with you, to be able to share this story. You know, for me, this was a game changer, you know, and look for the miracles because they're there every day, you know, and they're hidden. You know, sometimes they're, they don't look like a miracle. Cancer doesn't look like a miracle. Mm-hmm. Loss doesn't look like a miracle. You know, but I found some beautiful things. I really found my faith with my niece's cancer. I found forgiveness with my stepfather's cancer. I found, you know, with my wife's cancer. It's about, you know, not taking a day for granted, you know, really loving deeper and appreciating and and just, you know, just living in the moment in the present and treat it just like that, like a present when you were a kid and you got a present on Christmas and you open it up and you were excited and you played with it. That's what today is, you know, and look for the gratitude, you know, flip the script. You know, I look at all the stuff, you know, the abandonment stuff, you know, the stories that I had as a child, like my mother, my, my mother abandoned me or whatever. You know, she loved me so much that she put me in hands that could take care of me because she wasn't capable of, you know, that's a completely different story than the old story of abandonment. You know, it's a story of love that she loved me that much that she put me in other people's hands because she wasn't capable. You know, it's a different, you change your story, you change your life, truly. Yeah. And all of that stuff that happened to me had to happen. It was a gift. Anything that happens now, I, I tell my actors, you know, you're actors, so you're lucky because everything that happens to you, the good, the bad, the ugly, all that stuff out there, that's gold in your actor toolbox. You know, I don't teach acting. I teach truth. How do you be truthful? How do you take your stuff? What do you got going on? You know, and use that, replace it, substitute it. So you're talking to your mother in the scene. You're talking to, you're talking about something needing to be loved. So you, you're talking to a real person. You're fighting for a real need. You're grounding yourself in a real place. So it's not acting. It's being truthful. It's being vulnerable. It's, it's taking your soul and handing it over to a character, you know, right. and it's been a game changer for me. Well, it sounds like it. You know, I think sometimes the story is the intellectual part of us, you know, just sort of a survival technique. But once what I've heard in your story and many other stories, but we're talking about you today, is that when you finally sort of fell apart and got into your vulnerability, got into your anger, got into your tears, I believe tears are watering your soul. So, and also... You also got to a point where you weren't always just listening to the story. You had a moment like walking the beach that something spoke to you, you know, that time on the beach. And then about Manhattan Actors Studio, you heard that still small voice. You know, to me, I call it your higher self, whether you call it God, higher power, your higher self, which I believe we're all one with God and higher power and all that. But like you created an opening for it. And so I love the vulnerability, talking about your brokenness, living life on life's terms when it was happening. They're hardly living because you were just dealing with your emotions, dealing with the grief, which is great. But through all that, it's sort of like it reminds me of the tea kettle where it's boiling, right? Mm. And then this is your life, right? Boiling and all of a sudden, it's time, you know, when you hear the whistle in the tea kettle. Well, your awakening happened when that it blew. It couldn't take it anymore. And I, like you said, I feel that's where the transformation occurred. And I know you've given some great nuggets for people to walk away from. And you did have an awakening where now you've never been depressed. I'm not saying you don't live life on life's terms. You had some losses recently where I'm sure you've gotten into the sadness and emotions and the conflicting feelings of the, 
wish you could, what you did do, what you didn't do, and all that kind of stuff. That's just life. You're living life on life's terms. And what I see from you, you examine your life, where maybe before you weren't examining it, you were coming from a place of survival instead of thriving. And I see the way your life is today. What can people, because we're almost done here, what can our guests, even though you've had some great nuggets there, while things happen like that, based on now looking back, it seems like a quick, a quick shift to happiness and fullness. Can you talk about your meditation and how when you first started meditating, because I know that's a good tool and possibly prayer or affirmations. What was it like at the beginning where maybe you were like, oh, honey, I don't want, you know, yoga, sure, I'll take it or whatever, where you had some resistance. And what happened during that time that meditation started making sense and your life started making sense a little bit more and your heart started opening more and more for people who are like, that's not going to happen to me. Yeah. Listen, I mean, if you told me Billy from Brooklyn, you know, the kid, the street kid that I'd be teaching meditation <laughs> years ago, I would have told you, you're out of your frigging mind. You know, when I heard about it, I was like, yeah, not for me. Like I could not shut off my brain. You know, I had monkey brain. I was like, you know, I was like noise, this, that, whatever I couldn't, you know, but you know, I kept working at it. It's, you know, it's like, like going to the gym and working that muscle. You just keep working it and working it and working it. And really, I mean, the secret that I found was truly to find, you know, a quiet little space. You know, I, I have a beautiful church, American martyrs that I go to and, you know, before, you know, COVID, but, you know, it's just a quiet space, a little quiet little room over there. And, and I, you know, I would just sit for a half hour and, and meditate and, and get out of my head and get into my heart because, you know, everything, all your answers are there. You know, when you're in your head, you're dead. When you get into your heart, you're smart, you know, and it really, if you just listen to your heart, you're going to hear everything you need, you know, and it took a little practice. But, you know, after a while, you know, it's just really truly sitting in stillness and finding your breath and visualizing your breath coming in from your roots all the way up, you know, through your seven energy centers to your crown and holding it there and then just exhaling it all out and just visualize the breath coming like a beautiful wave of golden energy that comes up from your roots, comes, fills your belly, comes up to your crown. And I like to visualize a beautiful divine white healing light on the exhalation that washes away anything that doesn't service me, like right down my roots and just let's go, let it, let it go. It's a cleansing breath and, you know, just sitting there and listening, you know, and hearing my true voice, you know, for a lot of, a lot of my, my whole life pretty much is I was listening to my head, you know, and my head was little Billy, you know, damaged little Billy. He was driving big Billy's bus of life. And he did. And they'll win, win any t- every time. Yeah. That little boy. Yeah. But that story will win every time. So it's and like a muscle. Did you have to train it like a muscle? Your absolutely. Mind? Yeah. Your it's a constant. I'm I constantly. I mean, I'm not, you know, today, every day I have to like, go, okay, okay, Billy. No, no, no. I love you too. I here, come over here. Sit over here. Let's put this little seatbelt on you and you can't drive. Have a little ice cream. I love you. But, you know, the big Billy, the light within me, the higher power within me, that's driving my bus of life now. Love is driving my bus of life, not the damaged little boy, you know, with his fear and his insecurities and his stories and stuff like that. You know, and I love him. I give, you know, I give him love. I love you, but you can't drive anymore. And, he, you know, I got to kind of guard the gates, you know, of my mind and put a big bouncer out there when little Billy starts coming. Hey, can I come in? You know, say, no, can't come in, you know. I know who's driving my bus, you know, that's and that's, great. that's that beautiful divine white healing light 
within us that, that I believe is within everybody. You know, we all have this beautiful energy, this love, this light, this peace, this joy within us, you know, and it sounds a little woo woo, especially for me, because, you know, I'm a kid from Brooklyn and that sounds like a bunch of horse shit, but it's true. It's magical. It's really, you know, take some time to love yourself, you know, just spend some time breathing and in stillness and shut off the electronics and then the noise and just get into your heart. And that's a powerful place to come. If you can yes. come from love in everything you do and being of service, it's a game changer. If you can come from gratitude, if you can, you know, get up in the morning and the first thing you do is you go to your heart and breathe and, and think of all the beautiful things you're grateful for, you know, all the, the gifts that you've been given. And it's really hard to have a bad day coming from that place, <laughs> from yeah. gratitude and of love and of light and of peace and of joy. So yeah, for me, it was tough, you know, but it's a practice. You got to continually practice. Maybe it's 10 minutes, then you go to 15. And it's just really sitting in stillness, finding your breath, visualizing your breath. And, um, you know, now, I mean, I, I can, there could be a jackhammer going off in the street and I just incorporate that into my meditation. You know, I just see it chipping away at anything that I don't need anymore and let it, you know, like, I remember there was a bathroom in the church and I hear the toilet flush and I visualize all that stuff going down the drain on my exhalation, you know, or the jackhammer shipping away at stuff that I don't need anymore. My little stories, my crap, just, and I would breathe into that. So now when I meditate, it's like it just all the noise shuts down. My monkey brain stops and I get into my heart. And that's, a that's beautiful. I mean, you know, look at from where you were to where you are today, how you're training yourself, your heart, mind and soul. And I tell you that that was so beautiful. And what's great about you. And I think about as you start building your muscle and the capacity to open more vulnerably to your higher self. What I hear from your story is like you kept course correcting throughout your healing journey. And sure. people, I want to say, it's like a course correction. You're not going to all of a sudden take a right turn to Nirvana. There's all kinds of different roads and course correction you're doing. And that's a beautiful thing. And then for Billy and people who haven't meditated, what's great is go on Google and look for meditation, you know, beginning meditation. It's a great start, even if it's a five minute and all you hear are little dings, or if you want something yeah. that's going to guide you. Yeah, I have uh, one of my teachers, her name is Jill Willard, you know, who taught me meditation and Julie Rader. They're amazing teachers. So I would highly recommend looking them up. Yeah, look them up. And there's so many great things today. And I feel our consciousness is elevating now. And then you're part of that consciousness that's elevating in the actor space, but also just you showing up and hearing about and witnessing through your story, the capacity for love that kept deepening and deepening, whether you knew it or not. And then it turned out it's who you are today. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, it's my honor. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. It was just awesome. I felt that usually it's more conversational, but I love that you told the story because I know you're an awesome storyteller of truth. And just let you know, Billy Gallo, as we had mentioned, has a podcast. It's called Hollywood Dream Maker podcast and it's on iTunes, Stitcher. What other ones, Billy, are they on? Spotify. I do have a YouTube channel coming up with the video element. You know, I've had some amazing guests. So I have this awesome footage that I'm going to be putting out there too. Oh, that's um, awesome. Just, it's about adding value. It's about helping people to get there further, faster. You know, the dream. I've been there, done that. I, my guests have been there, done that. And I'm just giving them as much golden nuggets as possible so they can get their dream. 
Yeah, and he's asked fantastic guests. If you ever wanted to know the inside scoop of Hollywood and how some people have made it through thick and thin and how they just live the life of their dreams. Some really very inspirational stories on the show. Yes, they're great. I've listened to him. And also his acting studio, too. If somebody wants to act, that's great, too. He's doing it on Zoom, and I'm not sure what other platforms, but they will all be on the podcast when it comes out. And I'm starting my podcast series in September. I decided to start in the fall, and so Billy will be on in September. Awesome. 2020. So thank you again, and everybody who's on the show, thank you so much. I do not have sponsors. My thing is grief recovery now, I believe, is a movement. And so I need your help in spreading the word of grief recovery now. And even the guests I have on, please listen to them. I, the people I work with and have on the show are people who live not in the story, and we all have them, but live in the recovered, thriving, grounded, fulfilling lives who have come from some of the most traumatic experience, devastating experiences that have forever changed them, as I know as our guests have had experience that have forever changed them. We're here to serve, we're here to help, and hopefully we'll see you back next week. So by the time you hear this podcast, it will be September. (laughs) So anyways, thank you so much everybody signing off. Peace, love, and have a great life. We'll talk to you soon, and we're here to help. So call on us. Take care. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we will keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, Please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.